It tells us about you. It tells us how to know you, how to be with you for all of eternity. Lord, it tells us how to live here in this life, on um, in this place, Lord, and even where we're at, Lord, in um, our jobs or our living situations or with our families. It, your word is just so full of wisdom. And uh, Lord, tonight we want to know what it is, how do we know that we're really Christian? And um, so I pray that you would help me to be clear. I pray that you would help me to not skip over important things, Lord, in your word. And um, Lord, that you would make up for my inadequacy. So please help, Lord. We love you. I pray that you'd open up our hearts, our minds, as we open up your word. In your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. So the, the question is, what is a Christian or, and how do I know I am one? Okay, how do I know I am a Christian? So um, kind of made me think of this question is we have a lot of, uh, in, in Golden, we minister to a lot of homeless people. And um, a lot of them say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I grew up in the church and I did this and that and, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, some of them are drunkards. Some of them are drug addicts. Some of them are prostitutes. All kinds. And they say, I'm a Christian. The question always arises, well, how do you know you're a Christian? And a lot of times it's because, well, I prayed a prayer one time in my life when I was a little boy or a little girl, or I took First Communion, or I got baptized, or I grew up in the church, or some of these reasons. And I think a lot of those ideas are still floating around, even as we get older, as we've been... um, maybe even going to church for a long time or, or whatever it is. But let's just go over first what a Christian is not, okay? Sometimes that tells us more about ourselves and about what we believe than finding out what it is. So it's not a moralist, okay? There's a lot of moral people out there, but they don't name the name of Christ, right? A lot of them are atheists. A lot of them are, you know, this or that. But they're not Christian. They're moralists. Not a churchgoer. You know, I, I was thinking about it the other day, and uh, somebody said, you know, you really look like a cop, you know, which is funny because my dad was a cop, my mom works for the police department, my brother's a police officer, I have another uncle who's a police officer, so it kind of runs in the family, and um, if I were to come here and dress up as a police officer, you guys would all think I was a police officer, you know, if I were to go around, I could probably imitate one pretty well, because I've been acquainted with them. I was always at police departments and stuff like that. But would I really be a police officer? No. I'd be a fake. Right? I'd be faking it. Um, so a churchgoer could be just someone who goes to church. They act like a Christian. They talk like a Christian. But are they really a Christian? No. They're, they're just filling a chair. Um, a nice person. Well, I'm okay with God because I'm a nice person. See how that lines up with Scripture, right? Not someone who is born into the church or has Christian parents. That does not make you a Christian either. If you were, uh, if your parents were Christian and their parents were Christian and their parents were Christian and they were Lutheran and they were Baptist and you know whatever, that doesn't make you a Christian. Um, not somebody who reads their Bible. There's tons of people out there who love the Bible, but they don't love God. They love to read it. They love to read it as history, maybe even as fiction, as um, philosophy or whatever have you, but they're not Christian. Um, Not somebody who's been baptized. 
that doesn't make you a Christian either. Not someone who's taken First Communion, that does not make you a Christian. A true Christian is not someone who has had prayers answered either. Because right? there's a lot of people, I had a neighbor once, and she said, well, I know I'm okay with God because he's answered my prayers. And I said, no, you're not. Actually, that shows his kindness towards you and the fact that you don't follow him shows the wickedness of your heart. It shows your depravity and that you're actually storing up wrath for yourself because he's showing you so much kindness and you just say, okay, well, thanks a lot and I'll see you later. Right? It's not someone who has, God has shown kindness to either, kind of in the same vein. God has shown kindness to everybody on the face of this earth. It says that he makes the rain on the wicked as well as on the righteous, right? That's a doctrine known as common grace. God shows mercy and goodness to all of his creation. But that doesn't mean they're children of God or even Christian. Jesus said this. I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 7. So this is the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' most famous teachings. And it says this, it says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. So they look like Christians, they sound like Christians. You would say they're very nice. You could probably point out many TV evangelists and stuff like that. But they're ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather Grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Then he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and then I will, or, and done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So, so imagine that day when those people, when people who think that they're safe, they think they're Christians, stand before the judge of all the earth, and he says, I don't know you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That should cause all of us to question, okay, is, is, is your profession of Christianity, where did you get it from? How do you know that you're a Christian? Is it because you compare yourself to other people in the church, other Christians, or maybe even bad people? You say, no, I'm a, bad, I'm a better person than them, so I must be all right. Where do you, where do you get the ideas of how you know you're a Christian, how you know you're saved, how you know you're a believer, a true believer in Jesus Christ. Because those people that I minister to, they say they believe. But do their lives line up with that? Right? I like what Ezekiel has to say. And this is actually God talking to Ezekiel. And this would kind of go with the person who sits in church and thinks that they're safe, that they're a Christian. It says, as for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls, 
and in the doors of the houses, and they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, Please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as my people. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come. Then they will know that a prophet has been among them. What's going to come to pass is destruction and exile out of their country. And uh, Ezekiel had been warning them of that over and over and over again. But they all thought they were safe. They said, let's go hear what the word of the Lord is that comes from Ezekiel. He's like a pleasant song. We just love to listen to him. We love to to hear what he's been saying. But God pronounces a judgment on them because they hear him, but they do not do what he says. They don't really act out in faith at what the word of God says. And so that's one of the number one things we want to think of. When we hear the word of God, we say that we're Christians. Does it convict us? Do we do it? Or do we just say, that's a really good story. Or... The preacher did that very well. He said that very well. Do we actually do what it says? John 10, or John 1, 10 through 13 says this. Speaking of Jesus says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. So he went to the Jews, his own people, whom he had set apart for himself, and they didn't receive him, right? But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So Jesus comes to his own, his own don't receive him. But as many who believe in him, right, as many as receive him, you receive the person and work of Jesus Christ, right? right? You believe that he is God, that he lived a perfect, sinless life. And that he died on the cross for our sins and then he was raised from the dead on the third day. That's basic Christianity, right? 101. That's what Christians believe. So if you receive him in that way, you're a Christian. But you also must be born again, right? Who are born not of blood. So what is that? So that that means it's not because I'm a Jew. It's not because my parents were Christians. It's not because my grandparents were Christians. Not for any of those reasons, right? And it also says, nor the will of the flesh. That means it, would, it wouldn't matter, okay, well, I got baptized when I was 15 years old. Therefore, I'm a Christian. Therefore, I'm saved. No. That's the will of the flesh. You did something out of your flesh, out of your own works, okay? Your own will. And then it says, nor the will of man. So, uh, priest or a pastor or something pronounces you as saved, right? They make, like, do something weird, make a sign of a cross, flip some holy water, some oil on you or something, they say you're saved. Or they give you first communion and they say you're saved, that you're a Christian now. Not the will of man. But so what does it say? It says, but of God, but of the will of God. That's how we are born again, born again, because he does that work in us. Right? He's the one who saves us. He's the one who declares that we are his. Okay? Not us 
not ourselves, and no man can do that. So what is a Christian? Someone who has been born of God by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, They've been born again, born by him. All right? They've received a new heart, a new mind. They no longer hate God. They now love him. They desire to follow him with all of their hearts, to obey him. Okay, John 3 shows us this. So this is the, uh, I like to call it Nick at night, because Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus at night, so therefore Nick at night. And it says this. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he acknowledges, Jesus, you have to be from God. You've been healing people. You've been um, showing up in the temple. You've been casting out all those who sell taxes or um, money changers and the tax collectors and all this. You've been purifying things. You're doing these great, amazing signs. So we know that you're from God. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, you can't discern the kingdom of God. You, you don't know truth from error, truth from lies. You don't know God from the devil. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And I can only imagine Jesus thinking, Okay, you're really missing the point here. That's not what I'm talking about. You can't go back in your mommy's tummy right, and come back out. So Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I believe water and the Spirit, the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Many times the Word of God is likened to water. In Ephesians, I believe it's chapter 4, the washing of the water by the Word. Right? So many times it's equated to water. A lot of people think it's baptism. Some people even think it's amniotic fluid. Okay? I would kind of deny both those because baptism does not save you. Baptism is a proclamation that you are saved, that you have been born again, that you've died with Christ and risen with him. Okay, so conversion comes first. When um, uh, uh, Philip goes out to the area of the desert, he sees this, this guy going along with this huge train of probably camels and horses and all these people and everything. He was... His, um, he was a eunuch from Africa, uh, from Nigeria. And he, uh, and he wants to know, he's reading Isaiah the prophet, he reads Isaiah chapter 53, and he says, I need someone to explain this to me. So Philip gets up into his chariot, begins explaining the word of God to him, explaining what Jesus did, how he died and fulfilled all of the scriptures and everything. And then he says, what keeps me from being baptized? And he says, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you may. So belief comes before baptism. All right? That's why, like my church, I don't baptize babies. I baptize people who can um, cognitively decide that they are going to follow Jesus Christ. That they have been born again. Okay? So Jesus says this, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, 
He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know. We testify of what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the son of man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, Jesus speaking of his crucifixion, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does, does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So you must be born again. All right? You can't love the truth. You can't follow Jesus Christ unless you have been born again. The Holy Spirit literally comes and lives inside of you and begets a new spirit within you. All right? So, so before I was a Christian, I loved the things of the world. Okay? Sex, drugs, rock and roll. And for me, it was lifting weights. Just constantly. You know what I wanted to do before I was a Christian? So I was a personal trainer, and what I wanted to do was be on those TV shows on like ESPN, we're helping all the pretty girls lift weights. That was my number one goal in life. Okay, the moment I became a Christian, the moment I put my faith in Jesus Christ and was born again, my desires completely changed. Completely. No longer did I want to do that. Now I wanted to pursue God, and I wanted to tell others about him, and I wanted to know him, and I wanted to um, do his work. That became my greatest goal in life. It was no longer just living for self. It was no longer living for all the things that don't matter. It was following Jesus Christ. Um, It's really what it is. It's a new allegiance. Right? We had an allegiance to the things of the world before. But once you are born again, you now have an allegiance to Jesus Christ. He's your Lord. I remember thinking when I first was, became, became a Christian, thinking, I have to obey my master. I have to. And it wasn't because I thought he was going to come down and crush me like a little bug. It was because I loved him. I knew what Jesus Christ had done for me. I knew that he who was perfect who was seated in the heavens from eternity past, had come down in human flesh, filled his nostrils with the stench of this world. I mean, just imagine that. You're, you're perfect. And you come down here where there's rape, 
There's adultery. There's child molestation. There's uh, horrible things that go on here. War and thievery. Drugs. Bondage. That's the world he came to. And just imagine him every day. His perfect self, his perfect soul being afflicted by the sin against God that this world commits daily. And so when I understood that, I decided I was going to follow him. Now, I don't follow him perfectly. I wish I did. My life would be so much better if I did. You know? But Jesus said this. He says, Then he said to them all in Luke 9, 23, it says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? So here's a, here's a proof that you're a Christian. You deny yourself. You pick up your cross to follow him. The Christian life is a life of repentance. It's constant. Sometimes it makes you want to just go crazy. You're thinking, oh my goodness, I've got to repent again. I've got to turn from that again. I've got to go and tell somebody what I did again and be embarrassed and tell them that I fell short again. And then I've got to turn around and I've got to try to forsake that and walk with the Lord. It's hard. It's very hard. The Christian life is not an easy life. I don't care what any TV preacher says. It's a hard life. It's grueling. It's sorrowful. But it's also superior in joy. It sounds like a contradiction, but it's not. Because you're following the one true God who made the heavens and the earth, who made you to love you, and so that you could glorify him for all of eternity. It's awesome, but listen to this. This is in Psalm 17. Because Jesus says to deny yourself. For what, what profit is it for a man if he gains the whole world and himself is destroyed or lost? But listen to this. It says, Arise, O Lord, confront him, cast him down, deliver my life from the wicked with your sword. So David's been chased by the wicked people. They want to kill him. They want to do these things. And who are these wicked people? I want you to listen very closely who he says the wicked are. He says, save me with your hand from men, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life and whose belly you fill with hidden treasure. These are satisfied with children and they leave the rest of their possession for their babes. So, God's enemies, David's enemies, are those whose portion are in this life, who have all the things that they want, prosperity, all these things. They have children, and their number one goal is to leave their children their inheritance. And most of us would say, well, that's a noble thing, and it is. We want to leave our children things, right? We want them to be secure, but they don't go any farther than that. My number one goal for my children is that they know and serve Jesus Christ. Not even that they live a long life. Right? My, I've told you all before, my son is in the army. 
He got out of basic training. He's now at AIT school. And he's going, we just found out where he's going to be stationed in South Korea. You know? And we all think, well, he's just a few hundred miles from a nut job with a bunch of, maybe a bunch of nukes, you know? And so it's scary. But my, my prayers for him are not, Lord, keep him alive, even though I do desire that and I do pray for that. That's not my number one prayer, though. My number one prayer is, Lord, make him a Christian. Let him follow you. Let him serve you. Let his life be redeemed for you. And even if he lives only a few more years, let it be for you, Lord. Let him spend eternity with you in heaven. Because this life is like a vapor, right? It's, 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 it's just like smoke, and it just blows away, and it's gone. I mean, as we get older, and you guys know better than me, because I'm only 40, right? That the older you get, it's like the faster time goes by. And it, you really start to feel it, that it is a vapor. That it is just, we're like smoke in the wind. Our lives are just snuffed out all of a sudden. So why would I want him to live a long life, to have everything he wants in this world, and then to die and go to hell? I mean, I hope he lives a long life. And that he gets to go to heaven. But even more than that, I just want him to be in heaven. This world is passing away. It's passing away. Why would we live for something that's passing away? How much time have we wasted on this world that is passing away? I wasted, I think, about 22, 23 years. Wasted. Wasted on a world that is passing away, because that's what I live for. I live for the world. But now I get to live for eternity? Everything I do right now, every prayer, every time I open my, my Bible, every time I speak of him and try to encourage others, or I myself am encouraged by others or by you guys, this life is redeemed. It's redeemed. And it becomes beautiful. Also, a true believer is under conviction. We've kind of gone over this a little bit. But Psalm 32, 1-5 says this, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. But then the psalmist says this, When I kept silent about my sin, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My vitality was turned into the draught of summer, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess, confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So the Lord, when we do something, we then have conviction. So here's an example. Um, before I was a Christian, I loved to lie. I actually liked to lie just to see if I would get away with it. You know, Nobody would really even know, and I always got away with it as far as I knew, even though a lot of people were probably like, he's full of it. You know, but I remember I used as a personal trainer, I would steal some other some clients from other people, from from other trainers. They would come, and I, you know, somehow finagle my way into getting them to pay me so I could train them. And I would steal that person's client, and I would make up some excuse like, "Oh yeah, man, you weren't here, and they they needed a trainer, so I was here, whatever." So before I was a Christian, that didn't bother me. I'd go away completely justified. I'm looking out for number one. I'm doing exactly what I need to do to take care of my son, to, uh, to make a living. You know, I totally justified it. Now, when I was, a, I was a Christian, I did that. 
Okay, as a Christian, I did that once. And it was to a Christian brother. And I stole his client. And at the moment I was doing it, I knew it was wrong. But I just kind of bucked up and I needed the money. So I just, I, 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 I took his client. And so every day the conviction grows. It grows like a fire. It was like I almost just couldn't even live with myself. I was depressed. And I just couldn't believe what I had done. And I knew I had to tell him, but I was so embarrassed that I had fallen in such a way and stolen from, from my brother money out of his, from his family. From his family. He had three kids to look after. And I stole money from him. And when that began to hit, I was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I did this. And I kept trying to buck up against it and kind of resist it. And I finally told him what I had done. He forgave me. He was a good Christian brother. But that was the difference. Before, I didn't care. Now I did. I also heard this illustration from another preacher. And he says, imagine before you're a Christian, your wife, you know, you're going out, you got all your papers, you got your briefcase, you're running out the door, you're late for work, and she says, hey, honey, could you take out the trash? And you turn this around and say, what are you talking about? You know I'm running late. You know, look at me. I've got my hands full. How am I going to take the trash out? You rail on it. Right? And then you storm out of the door and you're completely justified. And you say, that's right, that woman better not ask me to do that again. She, she should know better. Right? And you go to work, no problem. You come home, you're still mad, and just live with it. Right? You're totally justified in it. Later on, that man becomes a Christian, so it's going to church. He starts reading God's word. He's under conviction of the Holy Spirit. One day... He goes out the door, he's got all his papers, his briefcase in his hands, and his wife says, oh honey, could you take out the trash? And he whips around and he says the same thing. You know I can't take out the trash, and my hands are full, I'm late for work, I've got all this stuff to do, are you crazy? And you storm out of there. Except this time, you're not justified. You know you're not justified. You know every single moment of your conversation with her was totally wrong. That it was wicked that it was uncaring, that it was unloving, that it was dishonoring to God. And you go to work and you try to buck up against it and you go to your meeting and you're sitting there, it's your turn to present or whatever it is and you just can't take it anymore. You say, guys, I need a minute. minute." He goes, he kneels down before the Lord, he asks for forgiveness from the Lord, then he calls his wife and says, honey, I love you. I'm so sorry I railed against you like that. Please forgive me. That's the difference. As a Christian, you you might still fall into some of the same things that you did before you were a Christian. You're not perfect yet. But there's conviction. There's conviction. God is doing a work in your life. God's doing a work in your life. So as someone who says they're a Christian, are you under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God? Are you? Or do you not care what God says? Do you justify yourself in almost anything? You're self-righteous. Is that you? Then how can you say you have the Holy Spirit? Because, listen, the Holy Spirit is God. Now, if I were to go out in the street out here and um, get hit by a Mack truck and I came in and I was running late for this study and I said, oh, sorry guys, I just got hit by a Mack truck. What would you say? Well, you don't really look like you. So either you're from Krypton and your nickname is Superman, or you're a big fat liar. 
All right? If somebody says that they have the Holy Spirit, who is God, who created the heavens and the earth, dwelling inside of them, and there's no inward and outward change, either God's a liar or that person is. Examine yourself. The Bible says to examine yourself and see if you're in the faith. Examine yourself. Scrutinize yourself. Also, a true Christian will keep the commandments of the Lord. 1 John 2, 3 through 11. Now, by this we know that we, are, that we know him. So how do we know that we know him? Here it is. If we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as Jesus walked. We obey his commandments. We don't make light of them. We don't find loopholes through them. Right? I remember when I first became, I know you guys are tired of hearing my stories, but here's one more. When I first became a Christian, I was a womanizer. Or before I became a Christian, I was. And so I thought, well, I'm going to heaven now. So therefore, I can do whatever I want. I can get away with as much sin as I want because God's not going to judge me. I'm safe. Jesus died for me. And I was really excited about that because I could go to the bars, I could go drinking, I could pick up the ladies, do whatever I wanted. Probably five or six times that very week, I heard the verse over and over again, if you love the Lord, you will obey his commands, from John 14. If you love the Lord, you will obey his commands. If you love the Lord, you will obey his commands. That is the proof that you love him, that you obey him. Right? My wife asked me to do stuff, and I can either be hateful towards her and say, you know, I am not going to do that. Or I can say, you know, I love you. I'll do whatever you want. Anybody ever here see The Princess Bride? Remember that movie? So every time he was this little... Um, there's this really beautiful girl named Princess Buttercup and this guy named, I can't remember his name but he serves her and everything and every time she asks him to do something he says, as you wish as you wish because he loved her, he loved her so much he, there's nothing he wouldn't do for her how much do we love God? is there anything that we wouldn't do for him? could we possibly say Lord, you're asking a bit too much of me no he loves us. He died for us. He showed us more love than we could ever show him. Right? And it says this, Brethren, I write a new commandment to you, but an old commandment. Because what are his commandments, okay? The, new comm- the old commandment is the word which, I, which you heard at the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true, in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. Here's God's commandment. Love. Right? It's all summed up in love. Love God and love your neighbor. Love God, love your brother and sister in Christ. It says, but he who, he who loves his brother 
abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And later on in 1 John, this is how you know that you're in him because you love the brethren. You love those who he has begotten. You love other Christians. Okay? And there's an example in Matthew 25. I'm going to go there real quick, and then we're going to end with this. Because we find many times that our love falls so short. But this is the kind of love he's talking about. Not gushy love. It's sacrificial love. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and with the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared, prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it for the least of one of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Notice they say, Lord. The wicked says, Lord. They don't know they're wicked. They don't know they're not Christians. What's that separation between the sheep and the goat? I'll sum it up with this. In that part of the world, and at that time, and even in today's world, in many different places, if you go to prison, you don't get food, you don't get drink, you don't get medicine, you don't get clothing. Okay? It's completely up to your friends, your family, other people to bring you those things, to take care of you. Now imagine... There are some Christians who, they have their meeting, and then they're going back to their homes, they're each taking their road, and Christianity is being persecuted at that time. Okay, At this time, you have the Roman Empire, they will end up hating Christians. You have the, um, the evil Jewish leaders, I'm not saying evil Jews, but evil Jewish leaders who hate Christianity and want to stomp it out. And so these guys are going back home. And as they're going, some of them get captured and they get put in prison. And so they call the brethren back together. They call the, the church back together and they say, listen, so-and-so got captured last night. They're in prison. They've been beaten. They're, they're sick. They have infections. We've got to take them antibiotics. We need to help them. We need to take them food and clothing so they can survive. And some of them say, well, if we go, they're going to know we're Christians too. And they're going to put us in jail as well. And he says, yeah, that, that's what's going to happen. Who's willing to do it? 
And some say, you know what, forget you. This, you're taking your religion way too far. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to die. It's too bad for them if they got caught. I'm not going to help them out. And so they go off. And then you have some others says, we'll go. We'll sacrifice ourselves for our brothers and sisters in the Lord, looking to eternity rather than this life. Because we love them and we love the Lord. And so what you've just witnessed is the separation of the sheep and the goats. The goats went home, uncaring about their brothers who have been beaten and tortured and put in prison. That is Christian love. It is sacrificial. It is sacrificial. So ask yourself, am I really a Christian? It is the most important question that you will ever ask. Because in eternity you will have forever to think about that question and about your response that you made while you were here. Because Jesus said, whoever lives and believes in me shall not die. What will have eternal life? Whoever lives and believes, once you die, it's over. It's like this life is the trial. The evidence is being built up against us. And we'll either be found perfect in Jesus Christ, as his righteousness is imputed to us. So again, when God sees me, he doesn't see Jordan, the womanizer, the, the drunkard, the, the sinful man that I was and am. He sees his son, Jesus Christ, because he died for me, and my life is hidden with him. It's yours. It's yours. Do you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you? Has he given you a new heart? Do you love God's word? Do you love his people? Do you appreciate what Jesus has done for you? And do you desire to obey him? If not, you are in severe trouble. You are in severe danger. Because death is pulling you down even as we speak. You are getting closer and closer to the grave. And closer and closer to eternal fire and hell forever. And I want you to be spared of that by calling on the name of Jesus Christ. And it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. It is God's promise to you. And you can either say you're a liar, or you can say, Lord, I desperately need you, and I need you to save me. I need you to save me. So please call out to him. Ask him to save you. Pray for each other. Pray for people who don't know him. Give people the gospel. Your life is so precious. And it can be so used by the Lord here. It can be so used. Every moment that you spend praying is a moment that you're going to appreciate, that you're going to be thankful for in eternity. Every moment you spent talking to someone or loving a brother or sister in Christ or, or giving the gospel to somebody. It's going to be a moment that you will rejoice for. That God gave you that opportunity. So don't let it pass you by. And you definitely don't want to let the gospel, the everlasting gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ pass you by. Because you will have all of eternity to hate God and experience his wrath forever and ever. Okay? Or you could have all eternity to experience his joy and his delights and his love and purpose purpose in heaven forever and ever 
and even here. Because eternity starts now. Once you put your faith in Jesus Christ, eternity has started for you with God. That's beautiful. So let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. And I pray that nobody here would make light of it. That nobody here would wait even another second to give their life to you, to respond to this. But that they would pray to you and ask you to forgive them of all their sins. To ask you to save them. To say, I believe that you died for me. And that you rose that you live at the right hand of the Father forever and ever and ever. And that I will be with you forever and ever. Lord, I pray that everybody would thank you for what you've done and receive it. And I pray that those who have and they've been walking with you for years, Lord, that you would not let them be discouraged, that you would not let them feel like their life has been wasted, Lord, that you would um, just continue to encourage them, help them to walk with you, and perfect them. So we know that day will come. We look forward to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Any questions before we go? Going once, going twice. If you guys have anything um, you want to hear... So next month, we're not going to do this. Um, instead, we're going to do Christmas Eve service. Because they talked me out of it because the Broncos were playing, and they didn't want me to have to compete with the Broncos, which I have no problem doing. They, they're horrible anyways. Who's going to watch them, right? So should have just done it. But we'll do Christmas Eve service here. And uh, so if any of you guys are here and, you know, aren't with family or something like that or going to your own church, I'd love to have you here. So that'd be great. And we'll just uh, praise the Lord and we'll celebrate his birth together. All right? So God bless you guys. Have a great night and I will see you mañana. All right? Thank you. Something deep, I don't know what it was. Oh, it was you, it would be... I
this part of the country called the Bronx, and people in this part of the country call them the Arts. So it also depends on what part, where the concentration of certain words is in relation to where they live. So, how's your week been? How's your week been? No, oh, it's not the weekend yet. Yeah, we got one more day.